0: You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. After almost two decades of leadership and high-tech human resource staffing, Ed Hidalgo led the development of a career education program called World of Work. He then joined the Cajon Valley Union School District as Chief Innovation and Engagement Officer and implemented the best K-8 career education program in the country. World of Work is based on a framework developed by John Holland 60 years ago. Popularly known by the ackerman RISEC, the framework includes six personality types. Realistic, investigative, artistic, social, enterprising, and conventional. And also a set of assessments that helps young people become aware of their unique strengths, interests, and values. What's great about World of Work is that it's 54 immersive units of study that create broad career awareness and give young people the opportunity to imagine possible futures. Hidalgo is joined in this interview by a leader in vocational psychology, Dr. David Bluestein, a professor at Boston College and author of a new book, The Importance of Work in an Age of Uncertainty. Tom spoke with them right before a keynote session at Learn Launch in Boston, which was sponsored by ASA, a nonprofit that helps students know themselves, know their options, and make informed decisions to achieve their education and career goals. This is the second podcast in a two-part conversation about starting career education early. If you missed last week's episode, you may want to go back and listen to Tom's conversation with Professor Bluestein. Let's listen in as Hidalgo describes the best career education system out there.
1: Ed Hidalgo, welcome to the Getting Smart podcast. Thank you. Glad hey. to be here. It's great to be together in Boston. Yes. We're joined great. by uh, Dr. David Bluestein, professor at Boston College. Uh, to the three of us in a few minutes are going to be going on the main stage at Learn Launch and talking about the subject of how to improve career education for young people. We'll be doing that with our friends from ASA, a, a nonprofit here in New England that's doing some great work in in uh, career guidance. So, Ed, it's great to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and it's great to be here with
2: Dr. Bluestein. Thank you. It's great to be with both of you. Very exciting.
3: Um, Ed, did, did you grow up in Florida? I grew up in Baltimore. How did, actually, how Baltimore, you get to Miami. Oh, that's Didn't a a a good question. Did you go to school question. in Miami? Well, my family's from Ecuador, and okay. so Miami is the gateway for many uh, Latin families when they come into the United States. So a lot of them live in Miami. So eventually, ah, so college sense. You had, there you had sense. family in Miami. Yes. yes. Okay. Miami. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, you
1: studied but then you spent you spent about 20 years in, uh, almost 20 years yeah. in human resources. So
3: why HR? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I was a really not a very good student. I struggled um, dyslexic and school was hard. Uh, and, you know, I picked a major um, that uh, aligned to my strengths and my talents and communications was a very hands-on, practical uh, major where I could create, and present speeches and public relations, uh, press releases, et cetera. And, uh, and I got all A's in those two years of school. I'd never seen A's before. And there was something about human resources that aligned to kind of that practical nature of work that suited me. And so I fell into it, and I, it really launched my career and, and what I'm doing now. So after uh, working at Manpower,
1: you went to, uh, moved to San Diego, went to work for Qualcomm. Um, what was the that was kind of the go go years for Qualcomm? What, what the company was really exploding, amazing in size. What, what were the challenges of staffing at Qualcomm in those years?
3: Yeah, well, uh, so Qualcomm was my customer while I was at manpower. Okay. I had several thousand contractors working on site there. They got to know me and they asked me to come on board and be one of the the lead staffing directors. And uh, thanks to our vice president, um, just an amazing guy, big vision allowed us really to um, kind of deploy creativity in everything that we did. But we took the company from 5,000 employees to, I believe, 31,000 employees during that time. And really, that was a time where um, mobile wireless communications was starting to take off. Uh, 3G, uh, 4G um, was just proliferating uh, the marketplace. And really, the vision of Dr. Erwin Jacobs, the founder of Qualcomm, just Uh, you know, unbelievable uh, to be on site at Qualcomm when when Dr. Jacobs was there, but really was about finding talent, qualified talent, um, the war between um, um, CDMA and TDMA and and software um, going into our phones and moving from a handset that was just a basic phone to the smartphone era. So how do you find talent that could take a camera, uh, a radio, um, antennas, um, a video and put it all into a phone. Where was that talent? And it was all—it was all very new at the time. So the war for talent was hot. So, so you,
1: when did you leave Qualcomm? Was that uh, four years ago? Uh, I believe it was
3: um, four years ago. So yeah, two thousand and six, I think.
1: I guess you were—you um, you were there in the early days of what I, I guess I'd called smart. Hiring or beginning to use um, intelligent tools uh, to find, um, review, um, and hire, and then uh, train employees, right? It's the beginning of
3: of using... um, Applicant uh, tracking systems, for example... Uh, LinkedIn. You know, there was a time where everyone was uh, post your job on um, on Monster or Dice or these job boards. And we were really moving to um, working through LinkedIn. Where is the talent? Who's setting up talent? What um, what is Microsoft doing? What is Intel doing? Where are they setting up new shops, hunting for talent? And we would and our recruiters, our marketing team, incredible. They would go and find talent. And a lot of it, Tom, started in um, college recruiting and the great work done by our college recruiting team, we would develop those relationships very early on, on campus, at the top engineering universities here in the United States and abroad, and you start developing these relationships with um, with your young masters, grads, uh, in electrical engineering, computer science, and you hope to convert as many of them as possible to build your pipeline. Uh, what, what, what
1: were the big um, lessons learned about, about staffing? What, what,
3: what did you find was most important? That's a, that's a great question. At times, it, it just n- it never felt like you had enough.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, workforce planning, not very good at workforce planning. We were always off on the numbers. The engineering department was off on the numbers. Um, business was off on the numbers a lot of times. It always underestimated um, how, how much talent you were going to need. Um, so Could the, you rely on traditional measures like where people went to school and what grades they got? Uh, uh, yes, uh, and especially um, where they went to school, some of the top universities. Um, I don't know that I don't want to name them on the podcast, but um, we recruited out of certain universities and talent. You could almost drill down to particular classes in RF theory. Um, and those students came and, and did very well, like in systems engineering, very hard to find um, great talent systems engineering at the time but you knew certain professors, certain programs, students were getting very hands-on work in their practicums, and those students could do very well at Qualcomm.
1: It, it's interesting. I don't want to go too far down this rat hole, but it, in, especially in the, the years since you left, really in the last five years, we've seen big tech move more and more into training right. because they're frustrated right. by the, the lack of really job-specific training and Right. So we're seeing yeah. more companies sponsor training and provide internal training. And definitely they've just decided they're going to do their
3: own last mile training, which makes sense. And and we had a big learning and development department there. And there was and there's a hunger for learning, at least on the engineering side. Um, our employees want to learn. They want to keep learning. But you also have to get the chip out. You have to get the product out. And so there was kind of this tension between um, learning to prepare for what's coming in two and three and four years. But we also need to get the chip out, so there's there's just a lot of pressure, um, and that's why we went to contingent labor a lot of times. We had used contingent right. staffing to augment the, the, the pipeline of of perm talent coming in the front door, and and there's a lot we could share about contingent labor and the value of it and, and the challenges with it as well. One one more quick question about um,
1: corporate HR. How how do you how has uh, training and development
3: changed in in the last five years especially in big tech Mm, i don't know that i'm the best one to to answer that that question Um, i know how it how it seemingly um kind of evolved in in our world and we were linked to it and and learning was was its own vertical under human resources so we had specialists there Um, but really keeping up with technology and and understanding kind of like the trends and understanding how we need to prepare our workforce for, for what's coming. And I think the Learning Center did, did a great job of that. Probably fewer um,
1: big cohort classes and much more individual, much more personalized learning. Do you I, see that?
3: Yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. Yeah, I see a lot of um, transference between... What I think our teachers do very well in Cohon Valley, for example, right. differentiated, blended learning, right. small group instruction. Our teachers could actually teach learning center folks in co- the corporate world how to do blended learning. Right. No, and I, personalized I, learning. It's kind I, of an interesting connection I there.
1: I think that's the interesting parallel that in from preschool to big tech, we're all really trying to understand Definitely. these new learning models and how to how to quickly assess the. Uh, the learning needs of a learner, help them create some goals, uh, create uh, personalized pathways yeah. with learners. I think we're all trying to understand how to do that. And, and it all
3: starts at the beginning. Really, the onboarding stage is so important, right? So how do you actually onboard a new employee very well? How right. do you understand their career development goals? And how do you just set up a path and a plan for them? We know uh, so frequently that in the surveys, um, our employees... Number one goal is career development. Who's gonna to talk to me about my growth? And uh, when you can provide that plan for an employee, it's, it, I, I believe, a better way to get to engagement uh, versus retention. We always talk retention, but how about engagement? All right, what's the origin story of World of Work? <laughs> how did that start? Well, it, uh, truly, it's, it's um, my boss at, at Qualcomm was, was fantastic. And he would say, if you crush the core of your work, I'll let you do whatever else you wanna do. And for me, that was uh, first, starting a career counseling practice uh, to help uh, many of the employees that we had who weren't highly engaged in their work, that we were studying levels of engagement. And he he approved this, and so we start this career counseling practice. We hired career counselors, they came on board, and we helped our employees with understanding their identity, (laughs) their strengths, their interests, and their values, And we gave them a language to be able to have a conversation with their managers about what they want to do with work and how they could maybe job craft or job shift. And so it went very well. And then I wondered, how are these top students from these great universities not getting any career development? They're on this conveyor belt of education. What if we start doing this earlier? Qualcomm being um, very focused on corporate social responsibility, I, I then said to my boss, um, "Why don't we start doing this as a CSR project to our local community? Let's work with veterans and underserved students, low SES, first-gen college, perhaps." And he said, "Okay." And so we started this lab. It was a makerspace called Think a Bit Lab, and it was a dedicated makerspace for middle school students, grades 6, 7, and 8th, to have a hands-on experience with engineering. And I got to sneak in 45 minutes of the world of work. And so over three years, we saw 15,000 students. and became my full-time job. And it was amazing to see how far students could go in five hours. Number one, with building their own robotic creations, coding about 15 lines of code, with no front-loading to this project, coding an Arduino, and then really their experience with the world of work and what students could share about their strengths and their interests and their values. That surprised a lot of principals. We met 5,000 adults, and it was those superintendents who came in and said, can you do this in, can you do this in a school district? How could we do this in our classrooms? And that's when I went to, met Dr. Shiro from Cajon Valley Schools, and he asked me that specific question. How can we do this so it's not a one-day experience? How can we give this to every child? So that was four years ago? four years ago
1: so big change uh from qualcomm to cone valley um i i yeah. i made a similar shift about 25 years ago and i found i found it shocking um it felt like stepping in, uh into a completely different world where the people and the economics and the politics were quite different was it a, a culture shock
3: I will say that it was um it's it was very hard um to step in. I was very thankful and I am thankful for the leadership the board the community the superintendent and cabinet are incredible they're amazing they're fantastic people um and and the employees are incredible um yes but it was still it, shocking it
1: I, I guess um and i david i don't i don't know if you, you may you have observed this but yes, i have i i found that Teachers are psychologically different than the people that I worked with in in retail or technology. They're they're human beings that have a different makeup and made different life choices to do what they're doing, right? And so they're yes. they're they're just they're different people that respond differently to stimuli at work, right? And it, it took me I don't know a couple of years to really better understand, um, that, that I was working with a different group of people that had made different life choices, uh, to, to do a different kind of work and, and much more frequently had responded to a calling in their life. Uh, people that valued, uh, service to others, um, people that love kids, you know, they're different than,
2: uh, the technologists that I had worked with. That really does capture one of the core elements of the Cajon Valley model, which is based on the fact that people do have differences. Yeah. That that difference can be explained through the model that um, Ed is using with his colleagues in Cajon Valley, the world of work model, which I'm sure he will discuss shortly. But that difference really does capture um, a fundamental different orientation toward how being in the world. And I think this concept of calling is a very important one. It's being... Uh, researched a lot in my field of vocational psychology some people do have a very strong calling for something, not not everybody needs to have a calling Um, but people could also have a calling for business or for management or for engineering but the calling to do teaching to do service work, counseling ministry work um, is somewhat different
1: This is a a quick aside David your new book uh, The Importance of Work in an Age of Uncertainty Every chapter uh, starts with the word being. Yes. I was really struck by that of being alive, being able to work with others, being part of something bigger, being motivated. You really did dive into this idea of how,
2: how you are in the world, how, you, how you're being, right? Yes. I felt like work, work is a major theater in our lives where we experience the world. It's, it's probably the context where we have the most experience with the broader social and economic world. We're not necessarily choosing the people we're going to be with. We're not always choosing the kind of tasks we're going to do. It's really our entree into the broader world.
4: Hi, Emily Leeptag here, co-author of the new book, The Power of Place. In my first couple of years as an elementary school teacher, I didn't pay much attention to where my students were from or their connections to their communities, although I really should have. Once I realized the value and strengths of these connections— I had an entirely new perspective on teaching and learning. I began to realize the incredible amount of untapped potential and creativity in the students that I was trying to so desperately contain in my traditional four walled classroom. My own most powerful learning experiences have been deeply rooted in place and connected to my community. So why wouldn't this also be true for my students? There is nothing more incredible than witnessing one of nature's finest phenomena more invigorating than being uncomfortable and curious in a new culture or context, and more humbling than helping tackle an issue in your own community. You're invited to explore or continue your own place-based journey with us in our new book, The Power of Place, available for pre-order now at the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening.
1: It's interesting about... How about being in the world, and it sort of um, suggests that immersive learning uh, of giving kids these really thick immersive experiences that were within which they can ask themselves: Is this how I want to? Is this who I want to become?
3: Right? Is this the kind of? work I want to do. And that's, that's really what World of Work is at Cajon, right? I think students are asking themselves those questions. And even when, and I've heard it suggested that we shouldn't ask um, kids what they want to do when they grow up. We should ask them what problems they want to solve. I think that's that's a fair statement. But I also think that at some point, students ask themselves, what do I want to be? Yeah. So to be able to have had this conversation with them earlier allows them to see that there's a place in the world for them. It allows them to develop a vision of their future possible self, and that's incredibly powerful. So Cajun Valley, uh, it's a, a small
1: K-8 district about 20 minutes east of San Diego, um, high Hispanic population, um, r- relatively low income, um, and you have by far the best career education system in America, and it's full, it, it is the curriculum. It's fully integrated. Uh, kids get 54 integrated learning experiences between kindergarten and, and eighth grade. Um, how did you develop that and how was it, uh, adopted and incorporated at, uh, Cajon Valley?
3: Well, it, um, it's been a journey and, uh, I spent a year at the university of San Diego, um, in the, uh, Jacob school of Um, innovation and education and working on the theory of change and theory of action with Dr. Ian Martin um, and others to really, um, my first goal was transitioning from Qualcomm. Could these ideas, this concept of the career counseling practice that was working with adults using career theory, strengths, interests, and values, could we adapt this to work with younger students? I saw that as the green field in this space, really working in that K-8 space. Um, You know, before the period of adolescent disruption, before that forgotten middle, how could we help solve for that period of adolescent disruption, build identity, help students build self-efficacy, belief, and outcome expectations? I wanted to do no harm. Um, So working with Dr. Martin, we we kind of created a plan, a path, a design um, with the team in Cajon Valley and some very special partners as well. And, um, and we went big bang. Uh, Dr. Miyashiro wanted to have this ex- uh, exposure for everyone in the district. I think there's benefits and, um, and limitations to doing that model, but there were bunches of teachers who came forward and said, I want to try. I'm ready to move forward. So
1: you have to tell me how you did this because I've been in a lot of Cajon classrooms and the, well, first of all, they're just joy-filled classrooms and there's, there, what appears to be a high fidelity um, to the world of work program, where where it's uh, each teacher implements um, in their own way, but really well. Um, it's a, a comprehensive approach. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you? get such good support from teachers, and how have you supported teachers sure.
3: so that they could um, do this so well, so comprehensively? Well, I think we, we always talked about elegant and simple, and that's the beauty of Holland, is elegant and simple. There's six themes. It's, it's something that anyone can can capture and understand. Um, But first, we have to take the adults through this process. You have to give the adults the gift of understanding their own strengths, interests, and values. I went to all 28 schools, and and, um, (laughs) a lot of people thought I was a little bit crazy. Believe me, uh, some of the teachers did not want to see me. I'm not everyone's favorite person, and there's some people who really do like me. Um, And it's the thing is that there were a lot of great things already happening in the district. There was already one-to-one implementation. There were already blended personalized learning happening. Students are doing TED Talks. The world of work filled a a void in the existing modern curriculum, uh, which consisted of computer science, presentation literacy through TED-Ed, social-emotional learning. And then it was this idea of this vision for the district. Uh, Dr. Miyashiro, our— Our vision should be happy kids, developing happy kids and healthy relationships on a path to gain full employment. And this work really filled that void. And so as as we express this vision, this mission, we understand the research and the data, um, we exposed the adults to this process, to learning about themselves first, and then we could start to share the frameworks, the process, the protocols that we designed around deploying Holland in the classroom and other elements so they can start gifting their students with these experiences. So I want to come back to the student experiences, but I do want to underscore what an extraordinary
1: school board uh, there there is in in Cajon Valley. Was this a matter of you and um, David Miyashiro convincing the school board, or is the the school board really leading this process? Is it a bit
3: of both? Well, uh, um, a little bit of both, but I will say this. Dr. Miyashiro is the absolute... um, He's one of the greatest relationship builders that I've ever been around. And he went out to the community and said, What would if you were running the schools, what would you want the schools yeah. to look like? And they said, You've stigmatized labor. The most important jobs in our community, whether it's the military, whether it's our construction and our trades, our life, elect- you've stigmatize labor. And now we can't complete our, our construction work, our jobs. East County builds San Diego. That's the that's the theme. The blue collar workers, the tradesmen and women, they come from El Cajon, from the East County, and they go to San Diego. They, and, and so we need you to, to, it really was restoring dignity in all work. And so when, when I came in and I pitched this, this idea, this concept that every child's unique is special. Every child has unique strengths, interests, and values that are needed in, those, in this world. And it should be our job to help every child know that there's a place in the world for them. We should help build possible selves and career decision-making self-efficacy into every every child, and we can do it. And there's a science called vocational psychology that can help us do this work.
1: I, I do want to just add a quick story that David had had uh, turned around, um, the superintendent, Miyashiro, had, had turned around a, a struggling school, and so he, he knows how to do that work, but I think having reflected on leading a school where the purpose was better reading and math test scores, he he found uh, that he was really not fully serving that community. And that was part of his coming to appreciate um, the need to adopt broader measures that better reflect uh, the the kind of outcomes that a community really values. So he's done, he's done an extraordinary job building support, Yes. in that community for, um, for, for this World of Work program.
3: Yes. So let's yes. dive
1: in and talk about a couple of the okay. experiences. Give us a snapshot of what one of these um, units
3: might look like. A customer service unit is a third grade social career. Um, and in our framework, students are exploring a career, they're simulating a career, ideally they're meeting a pro, and then they're practicing so our resources are both digital and physical everything from a career card that the, has the holland codes to a, a google informed doc that follows uh, kind of john, john hattie's framework of, of of learning practice where you have an essential question you have key vocabulary you have a learning intention, a success criteria and then you have a reflection so students will actually simulate an experience of being a customer service rep they'll go through this process this simulation and, and really we allow the teacher to bring their creativity and certainly with the beauty of Google Slides, they can add any changes, make changes, et cetera, that they would want to this experience. And the, the beauty is at the end that there's a reflection that we're asking students, how did you feel about this? And it's not so much about the job, the 54 world of work experiences and the jobs. That's, people get lost about, well, this career isn't interesting. Is this career gonna be here in the future? Ladies and gentlemen, it's not about the job. It's about the student stepping into the job and getting a sense for themselves. If you understood someone doing this work in the world of work, what would they feel like? What would be happening? And how would that connect with who you are? Would that, would that satisfy your needs, your values, your strengths? Would, it, would, it be, would, would that work, that calling, be benefited by your talents? And then that child gets the opportunity to reflect and through that process meeting professionals through a te- great technology like nepris um and and really have a chance to experience it
1: well let me tell a quick nepris story um wh- wh- last time i was there i guess two times ago I'd, i was in a sixth grade classroom they had been uh studying water quality they'd, mm. they'd done a, a big project around water quality and as you said they had used the vocabulary uh, so th- they're learning natural science. Uh, they're doing research. They're using design thinking, and then uh, several times during the project, they they jumped on Nepris and they were interacting with um, with water engineers who, who were both coaching them on the project and then at the end assessing the quality of their work. So there there was this thick interaction yes. with uh, with working professionals. So great great example of a big. Complicated,
3: community-connected project. Yes, uh, Nepris has been an amazing partner, and really, the ability to scale the MetaPros. Uh, w- once you have, once a child has the simulation, and then moves to the MetaPro experience, the richness of conversation because we've already um, built in this, um, this the key vocabulary, the language, etc. So the professionals are very impressed with the students across grade levels but to achieve, we've achieved more than 69,000 student views of live industry chats in two years, thanks to NEPRIS. We couldn't have accomplished that, putting students on, on school buses and sending them out to the world of work. I understand that there's value to that, but if we're talking about equity and bringing this experience for every child, every grade, every year, NEPRIS allows us to, to give this to every child. Every child can meet someone that looks like them, that's in the world of work, that's gainfully employed, um, and that's
2: incredibly powerful. Dr. Bluestein. is this what career education should look like? <laughs> this is, this is career education in the 21st century. I yeah. mean, this is a beautiful example of it. Um, it's the only example I've seen, uh, where it's infused throughout the curriculum and it's done in a very thoughtful way. And, um, I think it's, it's state of the art without question. it, it, it when I was, I visited Cajon Valley, I went into a number of schools and I have to say it was so moving for me to see this. I was totally captivated by it and I didn't quite expect it flying out to San Diego that I would, no. have, that, that I would have that reaction.
1: Not, not only is the, these immersive learning experiences really powerful, I think the part that I appreciate most is the reflective activities at the end where kids are asking themselves, what am I good at? What am I interested in? What are my values, right?
3: And, and, and I'll say that, and this is the, the secret sauce in this work. I mean, the, the core element is the belief that career development is a human process. And when we break the instructional core, um, we remove the human process from this, this work. And it's really about a conversation between a human, a teacher, and a child. And, um, and, and bringing their greatest self outward Honoring what you see in the beauty of the child and their abilities. Having a child have that conversation with another child and recognizing the gifts of another student, that's the beauty of this work. Career development is a human process. We've outsourced it to software and systems and computers to do this work, taking a test, sitting down on a computer, take your assessment, take your test, let's see what your results are. That's not career development. Career development is people having conversations and it happens across the lifespan.
2: Could not agree more. That's the bottom line of career development, and Ed is right. It has become too uh, too self-directed over the years, and we really do need professionals involved. And I think one of the beautiful aspects of the Cohome Valley model is training the teachers to deliver the career interventions and helping them to learn this material not just as a kind of, you know, um, leverage and to inspire kids, but to really understand it, to understand the psychological aspects of, of this work and to really help kids understand it and see themselves as, as full, fully embodied people who could exist and really achieve something in this world. Some people
1: might ask why elementary and middle school, um, it, you know, it strikes me that the the high school in America is becoming, um, much more focused on careers, uh, career academies and career pathways. So it, it, it strikes me that informing those decisions in, in middle school is
3: critically important, right? I completely agree. And, and so one of the things in the earliest grades, and I, I do appreciate Linda Godfritson's work and the study of, uh, of, of young people and that as early as age seven, students start to foreclose and say that's a boy job, not a girl job. Um, but aside from the research, the earliest grades are the, soonest, uh, are the closest I will ever be to the parent. Like the parent physically has to drop the child off at the school site. And that means it's an opportunity for me to have a conversation with the parent, for us to have the conversation with the parent. And in the last year alone, we've had more than 2,000 families mm, that's come in and go through the mission of me process, learn about their own strengths, interests, and values, and for them to start to develop a vision of the possible self of their child. Many parents don't have a possible self for themselves. They're struggling, everything that Dr. Bluestein already shared. And the literature is quite clear that parent is that first influencer, that driver to child around their possible self. So if we can and this is our two gen strategy. So, if we can incorporate the entire ecosystem, and our workforce board is part of this, the San Diego Workforce Partnership, incredible support. We have WIOA funding that's supporting this, but if we can bring in parent, teacher, and child, same language, vocational psychology, speaking the lens of the RIOSEC, and now we have high schools that align their pathways to the RIASAC. We have community colleges that are aligning their pathways to the RIASAC. And our workforce board has aligned our priority sectors to the RIASAC. We can show the parent, here's this path for your child. This is what's possible. And if you need supports, we want to talk to you as well. Yeah. The
1: two
2: gen strategy is really exciting, isn't it? It's very powerful. Actually, when I was out Echo Home Valley, I visited a uh, a, a parent education session I don't know if you saw that as well It was incredibly powerful
1: Well for most people They've never had that conversation They've stumbled
2: into a job But nobody's ever asked them those questions Exactly right? and, and especially The parents in Cajon Valley where you have A lot of immigrant families And um, actually what I was very moved by Was it's, it's one of the places Where um, refugees Coming from Iraq and Syria Are being hmm. resettled And um, many of these people, just a few years ago, were under the Islamic State. And I saw them engage with a translator so they could understand. It was an Arabic translator, engaged in a process of self-discovery. I was beyond words, so moved by it. Because it's really about the idea of having people experience the joy of creating a meaningful life. Right. Uh, Ed Hidalgo, we we really
1: appreciate the work that you're doing in Cajon Valley. It's exciting to be here in Boston sharing uh, this work at the Learn Launch Conference. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Dr. Bluestein. Thank you as well, Tom. It's been a pleasure.
0: A big thanks to Ed Hidalgo for joining us on this week's episode. We appreciate the leading edge work that Ed and the Cajon Valley team are doing on career education. For more on career ed, make sure you check out episode 240 with Jean Eddy, CEO of ASA. We've got it linked on the show notes and on the blog. That's it for today, listeners. Before you go, just make sure you hit subscribe so you get all of our episodes as soon as they drop on Wednesday mornings and also leave us a rating and review. Thanks for tuning in. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Jessica signing off.